Welcome to When I Was On My Mission, the podcast where missionaries tell true, unbelievable stories that they experienced firsthand. I'm your host, Brian Jensen. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app. It really helps us out. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of When I Was On My Mission. I am your host, Brian Jensen, and I am super excited to have Peter Tolman back. Peter, you now have the record for most appearances on When I Was On My Mission. I believe that this is your third appearance. Congratulations. Wow. wow. What an honor. One of these days, like, we'll get it right, and you're like, okay, now we can be done with them. We'll get one right. <laughs> I think you've gotten it right pretty much every time, Peter. I just think you have a wealth of stories from the incredible mission that you served. And so we'll continue to tap this well until it runs out. Thank you for coming back. We really appreciate it. Can you remind us, where did you serve on your mission, Peter? I was in, it was the Uganda Kampala mission, and I spent about six months in Uganda and 18 in Ethiopia. Wow, that is amazing. And if I remember correctly, the last story that you told us was was poo poo platter, which was the most which was the craziest mission story I've ever heard. Thank you for sharing that gem with us. I, I need to tell you that my mom was super disappointed of all the things I could have told. She's like, That's what you told? <laughs> Sorry, mom. That's that's a fan favorite, just so you know. So thank you for sharing that gem with us. And which which languages did you speak while you were there? So it was an English speaking mission, but I in Ethiopia there's a language called Amharic. It's it's a Semitic language. And then the story a that Semitic. we're gonna go into today, yeah, like Arabic. And then the story that we'll we'll jump into today is actually takes place with the Sudanese people. And it was a language called Nuer. Very cool. So just to ask you to follow up on that, how do you kind of get in and out of these different languages that it doesn't seem like you went to the MTC to get trained on or really had much exposure to? And how do you operate in that type of an environment? Yeah, Amharic's the only one I like really learned at all that was worthwhile. Like New Air, I learned enough to be able to converse and like make people laugh, you know, and, and like it's endearing. It's like, oh, look at that cute guy trying to learn our language. But the Amharic was just, I was there for 18 months. And so oh. we worked with translators a lot because our mission covered so much geographic area. So over time, I just picked it up and I learned it and we put a lot of time into it. I actually wrote a little book to like try and help missionaries learn it because it was it was so hard. It was like, hey, we got to make this easier. Got it. So you actively studied Amharic um, on a regular basis. And then it sounds like you did some casual study of other languages as you needed to. Yeah. Got it. Well, that is super interesting. I just was only English the whole time. So it's fun to hear about these different languages that people people spoke and what that experience was like. But to get things rolling a little bit, I'd love if you could just share a fun memory about companionship or, you know, something funny a companion did. It's just like you get a bunch of 19 year old boys together and there's dumb ideas that go around. And or, we, or great ideas that go around, or, depending on yeah. how you look at that. But. <laughs> yeah, we we decided, we were like, you know what, let's have a banana eating contest, huh. because why not? And so it was the, the young single adults family home evening thing. And so we went to the branch, we went to their activity, and then we just brought a bunch of bananas after, and we're like, hey, we're going to have a banana eating contest with the missionaries. <laughs> 
30 minutes was was the set time 30 minutes to eat 30 minutes many. oh my god and they weren't like the little fingerling bananas they were full bananas i i started out a little slow i uh, i didn't think i was going to pull it off elder thomas had the lead for the whole time elder thomas and until the end i just i was steady you know you got to be steady <laughs> and my That's small and simple things yeah yeah and my number was 19 bananas oh my gosh almost a banana per minute like right uh, now think about the texture of bananas and if you were chewing bananas for 30 minutes oh my gosh it might be one of the things i'm most proud of in my life because i don't know how i pulled that off well really nicely done peter i'm proud of you i can think of a ton of you know things like that that you do in the apartment or you know with with ward members that are just fun and part of the more I guess human side of being out there on your mission and, and just finding fun activities to spend your time with. So thanks for sharing that with us. And why don't we get into the meat of the conversation? What what would you like to share with us this week, Peter? Okay. So this this story has kind of two parts. The first is about a guy, and then the next is kind of like what he did with his community. So this is a guy named Thomas, and he is from a town called Akobo, Sudan. And there was a guy from Sandy, Utah, who was doing some, some humanitarian in Akobo. So this is South Sudan. The question about Sudan, real quick, that's, is that, that's Eastern Africa. Is that correct? Yeah. And is that where, like, active right now, there's a civil war that's going on? So that's, I... that's Sudan. So at the, during my mission, Sudan and South Sudan split. So they were one country. It was the Sudan. Right. And then they split in the middle of that South Sudan and and Sudan. So Sudan is where the northern part, that's where the civil war is going on right now. South Got Sudan it. is where where I was. Sudan, North Sudan is more of a Muslim country. South Sudan is more of a Christian country. Got it. Okay. Helpful. I've just been I've seen a couple of things about about Sudan in the headlines. I'm just trying to to place it, myself and understand where we are geographically and kind of what's going on there a couple decades ago you there was war civil war and and there was like you probably heard of the lost boys of of sudan yes yeah. this is where that takes place wow okay sorry to interrupt you you're in south sudan keep going so okay. the sudanese guy he had a stroke of some sort they that's what he said and he, they thought he was dead they held a funeral for him and like he was about to be buried and then like woke up and, oh my gosh yeah like it wasn't he was unconscious for a minute he was dead everyone thought he was dead and not that like he was in a small village in africa so it wasn't like he was like at the hospital and they were reading his vitals he just i don't know i don't know those story. they thought he was dead he wakes up and he's he gets back to normal except that he lost his hearing so now he's completely 100 percent deaf wait so when did he wake up at what point did he wake up and people, people realize that he wasn't dead this is the part where i'm like I, I don't know if i'm remembering this right i think there's a coffin involved so he was in a coffin it, like to your recollection he was in a coffin and woke up in a coffin yeah and i was looking through my emails to try and find like my past emails to see if i could find the details but i didn't write that part down got it so i i should ask him i'm still in contact with him i should ask him like how dead were you this sounds but, like a, like a huckleberry finn experience going to your own funeral and anyway keep 
yeah. So Thomas is living in a Kobo and this guy from Sandy, Utah goes on a humanitarian trip there. And on his humanitarian trip, he brings some books of Mormon with him and some pamphlets. And he starts preaching the gospel in a Kobo, Sudan. Was this affiliate? Was this like a church mission or was this, this no. is just his own thing? Okay. Yeah, this was his only own thing, but a really good guy. I've, I've met him since and he's a really cool guy that's done some, some great things over there and helped lots of people. But he goes over there, he teaches, Thomas learns and believes and is all in. He has some amazing, amazing revelatory experiences after his near death or kind of death experience. He like his perspective on life was different. And he felt really close to heaven. And um, as he learned about the Book of Mormon, like this, this hit home. The elects will hear my voice. He Thomas was elect. To get to Ethiopia, which is where the closest church was, he gets in a canoe. And by the way, there was still civil war going on at the time. So this is like a hollowed out log canoe. And there's rebels in the area. Like it's dangerous. You wouldn't go there. He gets in this little boat, like this long canoe thing, and he goes downriver two days to get to Gambella, Ethiopia, which is a town where a bunch of Sudanese refugees live. It's just across the border. So he gets to Gambella, Ethiopia, takes a bus, and I want to say his bus ride was like 24 hours. So two days on the canoe, gets on a bus, 24 hours, shows up in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and finds the church and shows up and says, I need to be baptized. Wow. Like that's a good day for a missionary. That's amazing. And this was all sparked by this man from Sandy. He meets the guy from Sandy while he's in Sudan and decides he needs to, to trek down to Ethiopia. Is that right? Yeah. To, Cause he can't get baptized in Sudan. He needs the only, the closest place where the church is like formally organized was in, in Ethiopia. So he needed to go to Ethiopia where the church was established to be able to, to get there. Oh, I just remember his name is, I think it was Scott Jenkins. So Scott Jenkins is there and helps teach Thomas and, and gets him moving on this journey. And and did Thomas leave family behind to go down to Ethiopia? Or like what was, what was that situation? Yeah, he left his wife and oh, I don't know how many kids he had at the time. He since, I think he has eight kids now. Thomas is one of the most amazing humans that you could ever meet in your whole life just like such a good man his smile will blow your mind i'll send you a picture you can put it as like the little thumbnail for this episode if you want but he's just a happy guy so he shows up but he's deaf and he doesn't sign uh he speaks really well because he'd been speaking his whole life so when we would teach him we we would write and then he would read it and then he would answer back with words and then we would write and he would talk and as we would teach him everything he was a sponge everything just like he just was so ready so faithful we teach him he gets baptized and he says okay i need to go back and organize the church in south sudan oh my gosh so he goes back and he is like a full-time missionary like he has dedicated his life to this the work of god so he goes back and he is teaching people. So this is where the story shifts. Thomas's story was incredible, um, a really cool guy. But this is the halfway point. Now he goes back, and in so you you got Gambella, Ethiopia, 
which is just like a town, a village. And then outside of Gambela, 100 kilometers away, there's a formal refugee camp called Pinadu Refugee Camp. And so there's South Sudanese there. His people from Akobo are in the refugee camp. They're in Akobo and they're in Gambela. So all three places. Thomas is organizing the church and teaching people in all three areas. He's just like moving back and forth and then he'll show up back in Ethiopia again for a while to like learn and just like be with the saints. He came to see Elder Holland when Elder Holland was there and then he'd go back and like teach his people. So I got the opportunity to go to Gambella twice on my mission. So we, we go in this like little prop plane and you fly to the middle of nowhere. You, you drop in and they're like, we're, we're descending. And as you descend, you look out the window and you're just in the jungle. And it's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And then all of a sudden there's a dirt road that appears out of all that's your runway and you land on the runway and you, there's a parking lot in the middle of the jungle. And that's the airport. Crazy. So we get out and the only way town, it's not even like in the town of Gambella. So we just land. And the only way to get there is just see if you can find someone who'll give you a ride, like hitchhiking. So it's just like, anybody, anybody got a seat? But it, we're driving through the jungle. We get in Gambella. It was just like the craziest experience of my life going there. And we get there and there are 90 people coming to church every Sunday. Thomas has been doing his thing, teaching people. All from Thomas, these 90 people that. And it, it like grew, right? So Thomas started teaching and then there's some others. And we, there's a guy named Machok that, that we taught and baptized in, in Addis Ababa. And he was a Melchizedek priesthood holder. So Thomas and Machok and Maban. And so there's all these guys who have, have learned and some who have come to the capital city where the church is. But yeah, that's kind of what's going on. That is amazing. And it, yeah. in, in so many different ways, I think just to, to take an angle of thinking about your mission experience, first, your mission just sounds like Indiana Jones a little bit, like you're catching a bush plane and you're in the jungle and you're catching a ride. And like, that is just so different than I think what most people experience when they go out on their missions. But then Thomas go. So was this, this was just a surprise to you. You guys showed up and there were 90 people that were, well, we, we knew, so it wasn't a surprise, but, but I mean, like at some point it was right. Yeah. Like, Hey, I've organized the church. There's, and he was like, can we just get a branch and start baptizing? And it's a little bit frustrating that that's not how, I mean, not frustrating. It makes sense. That's not how the church works. Can't just be like, yeah, Thomas, go baptize everybody. <laughs> so it's slow and it, it's somewhat painful. And these people who are coming, are they converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is it like, there's just like a church, you know, it, right. what's their level of understanding. So we go really cool. We were able to go and, and visit the members and teach them. And it was, it was an awesome experience. Uh, and that was trip one to Gambella. We go back and then we organize another trip. And the second time we go in and we bring a senior couple with us this time. So the first time it was just me and my companion. Now we bring a senior couple with us. They were the, this, like the mission president's counselor in Ethiopia. So they over oversaw the work in Ethiopia. So they come with us and we arranged to go to Pinadu, the refugee camp. And this is the this is the part that I wanted to tell you about. So we fly into Gambella. We're looking for a ride to get to the, the refugee camp. There's this girl who was hanging out. She's like, hey, my uncle has a car. Let me see if he can let, if he can let you use one. So we go to his office. He works for the Red Cross, I guess. And he's like, yeah, we have 
two vehicles and, and we're not using one of them. So I'll, I'll get you my driver if you guys will pay for gas. So we drive 100 kilometers to this refugee camp. Brian, this was the, like truly the most humbling experience of my life. Remember, like contextually, I know we know this. I'm 20 years old at the time. We show up in Pinidu in this refugee camp, and it's just picture picture how you picture Africa. That's what this is. It's just it's flat, it's dry. There's mud huts every 30 feet, and they're everywhere as far as I can see, with like the thatched roof and the um, there's like a water station. The women are at the water station, like pumping water in their yellow plastic jerry cans to take back and. It's just like, this is what you see like in pictures of, you know, when it's like Africa starving, this is what yeah. they show pictures of. Yes. Okay. So we, we pull up and as we get into, into the refugee camp, we're greeted by like 10 elders of the village and they're all the religious leaders from all the other religions there to greet us and to welcome us and just so much love and they're just like thank you so much for coming they're all just like cr crowding our car these these religious <laughs> leaders and like they're there to welcome us and there's a formal ceremony so they then uh, lead us just to say real quick that is quite different than the reception you get normally in the south from other religious from other denominations of christianity you weren't uh, getting that in north carolina no i wasn't the pastors were like elders thank you for coming just, teach us yeah. please no, that wasn't that wasn't the experience. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. So they they had this big ceremony set up, and they they lead us there. There's like a parade type thing. We get there, and there's over a hundred people there, and they just have it set up outside. So they have a big mud building that has a sign that they made out of wood, and it, that says Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints Visitors oh, wow. Welcome. Super awesome. They have a over 100 people there just outside waiting to greet us. We get out and they have this cultural celebration. They, they have traditional song and dance. They're dancing for us. They're singing for us. They have four chairs sat in the front. They have a table with a big tablecloth cloth on it. And I love it. The tablecloth just had a big old cross on it. And then they have a Book of Mormon on the table. So it's just like a table with a wow. Book of Mormon and four chairs. They sit us in the four chairs and grown men and women sit us down and they take off my shoes and socks and they start washing my feet. Wow. They wash my feet and then they're done and they wash my face. They feed us, they sing, they dance, and they just express more love. Like I have never in my life felt anything like I felt that day. It was one of those where I was like, hold on, stop. Like this is, I'm a 20 year old kid. Like don't wash my feet. I'm not special. I'm just some kid. At first it was really uncomfortable for me because it felt maybe like sacrilegious or they misunderstood who I was. And, and then it kind of settled on me that they did know who I was. And the only thing that they knew about me was the only thing that matters. And that was that I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I was there representing him, doing his work. And me being there, I was his emissary. And that's that's how they treated me. And it was the most beautiful reception, the most beautiful show of love I've ever seen in my whole life. That's incredible. How long did you stay there with them in that town? We were there. We were just there for the day. So we taught the big group, taught them about the restoration of the gospel through Joseph Smith. We 
taught them about the atonement of Jesus Christ. And they kind of showed us around and we we met some of their people. They had they had another building that they called the church office building. Only the elders were allowed in that building. <laughs> and when they say elders, they use that term loosely. Okay. Meaning the men. Yeah, okay. But no yeah. no women in that church in that in that building. But okay. And there were there were no formal like they didn't they weren't priesthood holders there, but besides when Thomas was in town. This was the refugee camp, and this is where that group of 90 were that Thomas had organized, or did I misunderstand that? This is another congregation that another Thomas had organized. So Gambella was one, and that was trip one. We saw, we went to Gambella, and then we taught them again the second time through. And then this was his other congregation. This was his second of three, because then he had also organized the saints in Akobo, Sudan. Oh, my gosh. This is an incredible. Yeah. And how many people in Pinadou were learning about the church or were organized into the into the church? So that day there were probably between 100 and 120. Wow, that's amazing. And then so there's Gambala, there's Pinadou, and sorry, what was the other town called? Akobo. Akobo. How many people? And were I there? never went to Akobo. Okay. And I don't know the answer to that question. Okay, but probably you know similar similar numbers 92 yeah. 100, something like that yeah. and this, this guy is responsible for for all of that organization yeah his work is amazing the other people got involved but he was the one who got it all started and did you baptize thomas yeah so he when he first came into ethiopia i wasn't there at in that area but i was there when he got baptized wow and so we were able to teach him and all so bad. he took his he took his boat trip. He took his trek from Sudan to Ethiopia. Initially met some other missionaries, but then you were there to teach him kind of the rest of the way and help him get baptized. And yeah. then from there he went back to these different places and organized these these congregations. That is incredible. Did they organize to a point that they could put a branch in these places, or is it still kind of ongoing work there? Do you know how it's kind of unfolded over time? I don't know where it is today. Other than that, the the difficulty is the transient nature of it, that like mm -hmm. those three places and then Addis Ababa. So like Thomas now lives in Addis Ababa, the capital city of Ethiopia. Okay. And they, they started a Sudanese branch, like a newer branch in Addis Ababa. Um, so the problem with those places is no one's going there wanting to stay right. for a long okay. time. So the church never really... It couldn't be official because you don't have priesthood holders who are there long term to run it. And that that may have changed since I was there, but that's kind of where it was left is like keep meeting and and keep doing good and, and worshiping and all of that. And the church rented out a building for them. So they had a place to meet and go to church and all that stuff. But we didn't have missionaries there, at least when I was there. It'd be cool to know if, if they're there now. Well, Peter, that... That is incredible. And maybe just a couple more questions. Were the people in those places, were they happy, just generally speaking? Dude, Thomas Tok is the happiest person I've ever met in my whole life. So that's just one person I know. And yes, these people were happy. They, they've been through crazy things, like crazy things. And so there's a lot of death and hardship. And so they've dealt with their their share of, of sadness and sorrow, but there are people who love God and have found great peace in following him. 
there's a reason they're so committed to Jesus Christ. They, they need what he offers. Without him, life is just too dark and dismal to handle. That's amazing. And when you were there, when you were 20 years old, did you have a hopeful disposition when you would go into these places and you saw these people? Would you, would you feel like these people will be able to get to a better place in life? Or did this make you feel a little desperation, like like these situations exist in the world and there's not, not much we can do about it? I, I, I want to understand like how you felt in that situation. For me, it was all hope. You asked, are they happy? This is my mission in general. I envy the life of, of these African saints because life was so simple. I feel like a lot of Africans are happier than a lot of Americans. They know what's important. It's family and it's God. It's not nearly as complex, but it's beautiful. So for me, it was, I knew that what I offered, that the gospel of Jesus Christ was the answer to everything. I knew that it would bring immense joy. And so I was a little bit, I don't know what the right word is, naive to the humanitarian problems around. And and this isn't, I don't know, for, for better, for worse, whatever. It was like, I know they're poor, but that doesn't mean they can't be happy because what we offer is true joy. Well, I can't think of a better way to explain that. And thank you for kind of helping me see that that perspective. You know, they're poor, but it doesn't matter because you're bringing, you know, real joy. And tying that back to the things that are important in life, your family, your relationship with God really, really resonates. Just an incredible story all around. And just the scope of the story, you know, is pretty overwhelming. The stories that, that I hold dear from North Carolina are all, you know, extremely important stories to me. And most of them touch one family or two families. And, you know, not that we're kind of relating or comparing stories, but just the scope is so much different where it's this whole village and spanning this, you know, hundreds of miles of geography and things like that. It's just an incredible experience to learn about and an amazing variety of experiences that, that happen to missionaries in different parts of the world, you know, all of which are sacred and, and important and, you know, shape the lives of the missionaries that, that live them. I was just going to say, but you zoom in on the story and it's just a story of ones, right? Like it's about Thomas Toke and then it's about Machoke Dengkor and then it's about Maban John. And that, you know, it's like the story grows to lots of people, but they're all ones and they all have their own individual story that, that deserve, you know, hearing. I don't know. I just love how God, it's all about, the one and the numbers are fun, but it's the people, you know, it's the one. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Well, Peter, thank you for sharing that with us. And I've, you know, I've asked you before on the podcast, was it worth it serving a mission? And I mean, I'll ask you that same question, but I, I want to frame it. Was it worth it going on a mission and how did your mission change you as a person? There's nothing that's ever been more worth it. Like it, it changed everything about me. Who I am today is so shaped and impacted by everything that happened during those two years. But one thing that comes to mind is I know God. I've seen him at work through those opportunities. And it, it took that kind of consecrating and focusing on him for two years to be able to really get to know him. And I'm I'm still getting to know him better, but I'm a different person because I, I know God. I'll, I'll follow him forever because I, I know him. I know who he is. I know his love and his mercy and the joy that he offers each of us, the peace that he offers us. So that, that all is because I, 
I got to know him as I served him. Well, thank you, Peter. We really appreciate that. I appreciate the story. I appreciate you sharing your experience and you helping us understand what a mission has meant to you and how that's affected you in your life. So thank you for joining the podcast again. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When I Was On My Mission. If you or someone you know has a great mission story, we would love to hear it. Please email us at contactonmymission at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram or Facebook at When I Was On My Mission. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app.